my name is Pete Donaldson and welcome to Fairstone's monthly update. I'm joined by Imogen Hamlin, uh, who is one of our portfolio managers in Fairstone. So welcome, Imogen. Hi, Pete. Good to be here. Fantastic. Fantastic. So um, as usual, here to help me understand more about what's happening in the marketplace and uh, what we should look forward to in the future around markets and investments as a whole. So let's kick off with the backdrop of a real mixed bag of markets. Um, some performed incredibly well, others less so, some uh, just um, moodling along as, uh, as they've, they've uh, happened in the uh, first part of the year. Interest rates uh, seem likely to be reduced, but the timing of which has probably been pushed out a little, little bit more and uh, inflation seems to be reacting quite nicely, but maybe not quite as uh, the central markets had, had hoped. But the trajectory around uh, inflation still seems quite positive, which is nice for interest rates. So give me a little bit more of a, an insight and an overview as to what's happening around global equities. Please, Imogen. Yes. So, so, so as you say, it was it was a bit of a mixed start to the year um, with that that excitement over early rate cuts that we saw through Q4 just getting getting reined in a bit. Um, so across Western markets and the US in particular, um, on one hand, data releases through the month were, were generally strong, um, which benefited some asset classes. Um, but this resiliency across economies provides central banks with a much lower need to start cutting those interest rates. Um, and this led the investor base to start to rethink their projections for interest rate cuts um, during the first quarter of this year. Um, so at the same time as that, we had the US, the US Fed, the, the ECB, the Bank of England, um, all really doubling down on their rhetoric. So they're saying that rate cuts are data dependent. Um, and the data isn't yet demanding cuts. Um, so while while stronger growth benefited some areas of the market, so you know growthier stocks, cyclicals, um, other areas, those that are more sensitive to interest rates, came under pressure from this re-rating in, in bond yields. Right. Um, now, now inequities that means you know, small caps, mid caps, real estate, and th those more highly levered companies came under pressure during the month. Um, elsewhere, so, you know, uh, Asia emerging markets, um, the picture was also also fairly mixed, um, but for different regions, for different reasons. Um, so Japan, Japan had a really good month. Um, there, they're still benefiting from a normalising market. Um, so on a, on a backward looking basis, there have been a few elements to the Japanese economy that, that have really dragged on growth over the past few decades um, and made, made it quite an unattractive place for, for investment. Um, so, you know, deflation, yield curve controls, negative interest rates, poor corporate governance, um, none of that makes for a positive investment environment. Um, through last year, though, we saw a real shift in the region and, and a bit of a reversal in, in almost all of those factors. Um, which made, made Japan a lot more conducive to, to both corporate growth and corporate profitability, um, all of which is obviously positive for markets. Um, and then at the other end of the scale, you had the, the Chinese market, which, which had another very difficult period. 
Um, so their deflation, slowing growth, the ongoing property crisis, all are continuing to, to weigh on sentiment. Um, we're also seeing a bit of a bit of a shift in what's driving growth in in the Chinese economy um, and what's going to be driving it as we as we move through the rest of the decade. Um, so over over previous decades, we've seen a, a bit of a high high investment growth economy. Um, the the government over there is trying to trying to move away from that model into something new. Um, we don't yet know what what that actually is, um, but but through January, um, to try and try and stem the, the flows out of out of China and the poor poor market performance, um, we saw the Chinese authorities tr try and stimulate things to get things going with with new policies, um, support schemes, um, both of which are uh, really aimed at increasing liquidity, shoring up the the real estate sector and the, the the falling market um but it's, it's it seems kind of through the month that those those policies only really confirmed what the market already thought about okay. the issues that are, that are going on in in the chinese economy um but you know looking across global equities as a whole it, it wasn't all all bad unsurprisingly oh. big tech had another good month um, well, and, that, and that helped the, the US market. <laughs> I'm going to be asking you more about that uh, in a second. So, um, what about what about the UK? How's uh, how's the markets um, happen? Oh, sort of worked in the UK over the last uh, last few weeks. Um, the UK and Europe just kind of trundled along through through January. There was a bit of a preference for cyclical stocks over defensives um but i mean from neither the uk nor europe was there anything particularly exciting the growth picture is is okay in both but not great so you didn't get that runaway of positive returns that you got in in the us but there was better better returns than or better economic um data points than than were expected so there was a bit of bit of positivity but at the same time th those changing rate expectations weighed on weighed on returns um which at the end of the month gave you a you know flattish return lackluster lackluster is an excellent word well, for it well have that have that one uh so in the US, I'm, I'm going to uh, sort of ask you a, a, a question about the Magnificent Seven uh, in, a, in a second. But in the US, is there anything to sort of pick out there? Because uh, the the news from a news perspective, there's lots and lots of things talking uh, around what's happening in their economy more generally, but also uh, with election year coming up for uh, for the US, um, the US markets. Um, yes, so kind of on on an absolute basis, the data that we're getting out of the u s is it's it's not fantastic, um, but relative to expectations, it has been been very strong. um so 
we've seen consumer confidence and consumer sentiment reports um, came in higher than expected through December. Um, manufacturing output that came in higher than expected. Um, and importantly, the so the orders element of that that manufacturing output um, came in above fifty, and fifty is kind of the line that that differentiates between expansion and um, contraction. So that orders element came in in expansion territory, and that's important because that's more of a forward-looking um, data point. Um, employment in the US that has come in a lot stronger than expected. But again, there are elements to the data point that are slightly misleading because that, that December figure includes um, revisions from, from the rest of the year. Um, so it could be could be slightly overstated. Um, okay. And then data from household surveys indicates that things are a, a tiny bit softer, so quit rates are up. Um, layoff announcements are up. Um, so you put that together and, you know, you've got an economy that, that's doing better than people expected, but at the same time, there are still signs of, you know, a little bit of risk around the edges. We don't quite know where things are going to go next, especially when we consider that the interest rate rises that we've seen so far, perhaps haven't been completely absorbed by by the economy by by corporates um so yeah a little bit to watch and obviously we have got have got the election there yeah okay so let's um talk about the magnificent seven my my favorite uh subject to talk about and and the tech world uh so what's happening from an investment um perspective in uh in that part of uh the sector conscious because so many investments are linked to or so many so many people's portfolios hold uh the magnificent seven and also a lot of the the growth has been uh, uh sort of pivoted from uh what they do so um how's everything going in tech yes it is a um a very valid question um i mean as you say they the Magnificent Seven make up a huge proportion of the, the global index now. So looking at the um, MSCI world, those seven stocks make up about 20% of it now. So they are having a pretty significant effect on returns of, of the whole developed market um, XE index. Um, now looking at, at January specifically, it was a pretty interesting month for for the mag 7 with a with a pretty huge divergence in returns between nvidia at the top of the pack with, which gained nearly 20% um and then tesla down the bottom which fell nearly 25% um and you know given given the run up in share prices of the seven stocks that we saw through through the past few years um the earnings multiples that they're now trading on are stretched to say the least um which is now just leading investors to pay a little bit more attention to their earnings figures um, and ask if those multiples are justified by by revenue growth um so so through the last week in january um, and the first few days of this month we had q4 earnings reports from 
from most of the, the stocks here. Um, so, so Microsoft reported its strongest revenue growth since 2022, um, but investors didn't see the growth that, that was there, but it was strong enough um, and, and the stock took, took a short term hit. Um, the same is true of Alphabet, which beat expectations overall, but, but um, fell short on ad revenues. So again, there, there was a hit there. Um, at Apple, Q4 earnings beat expectations, but forward guidance indicates that there's going to be a notable decline in shipments through this year. Um, that doesn't bode well for future revenue growth, um, and that hurt Apple's share price. Um, at the other end, though, Amazon and Meta, um, they spent last year doing a lot of cost cutting um, and really refocused their businesses, which meant that they reported very strong earnings growth. Um, and they've seen their, their share prices really, really quite well, well rewarded. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's all very short term data, but, but long term, the general trend of the Nasdaq is still still upwards. Um, but you are just starting to see that expectations are getting increasingly difficult to reach, um, which to me just points to, to, to taking a little bit more caution um, when it comes to, to buying into, into these companies. It's a, an interesting one because uh, I think probably uh, like many many people that um, of a certain age, um, well, I'm now uh, disclosing that I'm middle aged. Um, that when you when you look at the the firms in the Magnificent Seven and you think, well, are they are they going to be uh, able to sustain their their sort of uh, trajectory ongoing? And you're looking uh, on your phone, which is an an iPhone and uh, you're doing a search on Google and uh, you're driving, uh, obviously you wouldn't be using a phone uh, whilst driving, <laughs> but you're in a car um, and uh, you're passing uh, several Teslas uh, along the way. And they're just all so much part and integral of, uh, of our day-to-day -day lives now. So um, yeah. Let's uh, let's see where that goes. So that's, you mentioned China earlier. So like many global investors uh, on the call, I have uh, some assets across over in, in China, not, not in any specific areas, but um, broadly managed. So uh, I'm, I'm always very cognizant of what's happening over there because I think it's a fascinating market. Uh, and they continue to get uh, significant column inches, both uh, on its attempts around stimulus within the economy, which you mentioned earlier, and also, uh, is it Evergrande or Evergrande? Um, you can tell that Yorkshireman's trying to explain that. Uh, they have recently gone into bankruptcy uh, with 300 billion in debt. So that that's, Obviously, one of the, the, the largest companies in, in the world, they um, predicated their, their entire business on, on uh, huge uh, property developments. As a UK investor, um, I might have some exposure. I'd be surprised if I didn't. But is there going to be a ripple effect outside China around that kind of uh, level of uh, bankruptcy? Do you think big question i appreciate very big question um very good question actually um so i mean issues have been obviously bubbling away in relation to evergrande for 
for some years now. Um, so if we just just take a step back and look at like the business model as a whole. So for the for the past few decades, the, the Chinese economy, as as I said, has been built on that that model of high investment growth. Um, so companies, be them corporate or state owned, have been borrowing huge sums of money um, and building out you know new new cities, so roads, properties, shopping malls, you name it, they've built it. Um, or in, in this case, half built it. Um, because despite a lot of people paying up front for these buildings, which they tend they tend to in China, there's a large portion of the, the market, people will pay in full up front before the buildings have even started to be built. Right. Um, but you know, despite that, the, the development companies started to run out of money. Um and that then left you with, with all these half-built properties, a, a very indebted population without the assets to, to go with it, um, and a, a very severe loss of confidence across that sector. Um, but, you, you know, we can always find reason for optimism um, and reason to think that this still isn't necessarily going to end in a similar way to, to property crises that we've seen over here with a wider financial crisis or, or banking crisis. Um, and it's largely down to, to the ingrained involvement of the state um, and their ability to, to really pull strings that Western governments can't um, in order to avert that, that full-blown crisis. Um, and you are, you're kind of seeing that with the stimulus that, that the government's trying to put through now. Um, so they are, they're putting liquidity into the real estate sector to try and get it moving again. Um, it is early days, but but the more we hear from Xi Jinping, um, the, the more serious he sounds about really shoring up the state of things over there. Um, so, you know, we're getting um, direct market interventions. So they're talking about banning, banning short selling, um, changes to regulations, um, easing in, in the loan requirements related to property loans. Um, so, you know, it's a pretty robust mix of measures, um, all of which are designed to, you know, just increase confidence in the region and avoid that that wider um, spill out of, of, of issues that we're seeing in the property sector. Right. Fingers crossed. Um... Oh, that's, uh, I, I won't feel a ripple effect uh, then from uh, from what you're saying. Um, um, okay, so um, looking at, at a different part of the world, uh, the Middle East, um, obviously the, there's some uh, horrendous uh, human impact, and it, it unfortunately appears that the uh, the conflict seems to be spreading uh, with what's uh, what's gone on in in recent weeks. Um, that has a, a knock-on impact around uh, shipping and the cost of shipping from Asia over into the West. Um, not only the cost, but also the delays that come with that. So, is that part of the um, the inflationary sort of factors that are are playing into financial markets at the moment? Yeah, so I mean, as you say, it, it is another awful, awful situation what's going on there. Um, and January saw that further escalation in tensions with more involvement from, from the Houthis in Yemen, from Iran, 
um, from the US um, and other other NATO allies. Um, but as you kind of said, that the market reaction so far has been limited. Um, what we are seeing though is that disruption to shipping um, and the knock-on effects from that. Um, so to so, so just put that that in perspective, the Red Sea and the Suez Canal represent about about twelve percent of global trade, um, and so far we've seen an, an over two hundred percent increase in shipping costs through that channel. Um, so you know it, it's not an insignificant impact to to global trade, um, but following the pandemic. Um, and the supply chain issues that we experienced through that period, there's now an oversupply of containers. So while ships are now, you know, diverting and traveling around longer routes, um, making delivery times both longer and more costly, um, there is still a steady supply of goods getting to consumers because of that added volume. Um, also, a lot of companies have moved away from that, that just-in-time inventory model that was in, that was in place um, towards the start of the pandemic. Um, and current inventory levels look quite healthy. Um, then factor in slowing, slowing growth, um, so lower demand. That is um, helping, helping the situation as a whole. Um, so yeah, yeah, the conflict is putting up pressure on inflation, but at the moment, um, other factors are working quite well to absorb um, pressures on that side. Um, it's probably also worth touching on on oil, um, given given how much um, oil output comes from the Middle East and the inflationary impacts that a rising oil price could have. Um, now, to date, we haven't seen a huge move upwards in oil. Um, January saw a about a six percent rally, um, but at the end of the month, it still traded lower than it did at the start of the conflict. Um, so really, unless things significantly deteriorate from here, I think the ramifications for the oil price should be be fairly modest. Um, disruptions to the flow of oil aren't in the best interest of any party involved, including the US. Um, so it is, it's quite likely that both sides are trying to avoid triggering any kind of major issues across energy markets. Right, right, OK. Uh, lots to think about there. Um, if we move on to bond markets, uh, so as interest rates seem to be indicating a downward tilt, uh, uh, accepting that probably that uh, indication has, has probably uh, come from the, the mortgage market uh, rates initially. Um, what's happened to the UK bond market in recent weeks? Yeah, so... It has been another interesting period in, in bond markets um, because of that repricing in yields. Um, so as you say, the trajectory of interest rates it is definitely downwards. Um, but what we're seeing at the moment is a little bit of uncertainty around when that, that first rate cut will come um, and then how quickly any further cuts will follow. Um, you know, that's the same whether you're talking about the UK, um, Europe or the US. Um, not in the UK specifically, the Bank of England's mandate stipulates a single target, um, which is inflation. Um, so its primary goal is to get inflation down to that target of 2%. Um, now, as you know, following its peak in October 2022, inflation has been moving quite steadily downwards. 
Um, and as of November, it hit 3.9%. Um, come December, though, that figure moved up again to 4%. Um, and this is this kind of been the concern across markets for a little while now. Um, so that that large chunk of inflation that we got we got rid of last year that was wrapped up in you know supply chain issues, energy price issues. Um, great that that bit has gone. Um, what we're left with now though is a few percentage points of stickier service-based inflation. Um, so so wage price growth. Um, we're still seeing wage-related strikes. Um, which while inflation is still running a little bit hot, um, it's it's unlikely that those wage pressures are going to dissipate completely, um, especially while the labour market here is still still quite tight. Um, now, on the other side, the, the, the disinflationary impulse that we've been getting from from falling energy prices um, is is at risk from you know the conflict in the Middle East, the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Um, so, you know, those upward pressures on inflation are still there. Um, the data reflects that and the Bank of England know that. Um, now, I'm by no means saying that inflation won't come down from here, but it is just likely to be a little bit more bumpy. Um, and the Bank of England isn't going to cut rates prematurely, only to have to raise them again in, in a few months time. Um, so yeah, as I said, what we've got in markets at the moment is just a bit of uncertainty around when that that first cut will come. Um, everyone's looking at the data, um, and the most recent prints indicate that we'll be waiting just a little bit longer than was previously thought um, before the Bank of England moves to make that make that first cut. Um, so through January, the effect of that was an increase in government bond yields. Um, so drop in government bond prices, um, which then filtered through into credit, and we saw losses across the, the majority of the sterling bond market. Oh, now you mentioned yeah. mortgage rates. Yeah. Um, so potentially worth having a having a quick look at what's going on there. Um, and all this uncertainty is being seen across the mortgage market as well. Um, so the cost of a fixed rate mortgage has been falling from, from its peak. Um, and major major lenders have been reducing cost, costs across the board um, with, with quite a few longer term fixes now priced under 4%. Um, but more recently, some lenders have been repricing upwards again. So you can kind of see that, that push and pull between what the data is telling us um, and what the rates markets are telling us. Um, you know, looking at the longer term trajectory, though, it's definitely downwards, um, despite that risk of just a little bit more added volatility as we go through through the next few months. Right. OK, so what, what um, is the UK being uh, a sort of a, an outlier in the bond market or is, is this sort of similar uh, sort of obs observations across different uh, bond markets uh, across the globe? I won't ask you to go into every country's details, but <laughs> just more sort of more, more generally. Um, no, it, it is a similar picture elsewhere. Um, I mean, we're primarily looking at the US and uh, the Eurozone or Europe yeah. more widely. Um, outside of them, we get into the high yield market, which reacts um, quite differently. Um, but yeah, it is a similar picture across both, both 
the US and Europe, although the picture is slightly more clear in the US. Um, so there we saw that move outwards in, in government bond yields. Um, coming into this year, markets were pricing in about a 90% chance of a rate cut in, in March. Um, and that was on the back of you know slowing growth, slowing inflation. Um, having then absorbed December's figures um, with, with that surprisingly strong um, growth data, um, the through January, that the move in, in pricing meant that at the end of the month, markets were pricing in only about a 20% chance of a cut in March. So, wow. you know, pretty, pretty sizable shift. Um, and actually what, what's being priced in at the end of January is much more in line with, with what the Fed has been, been telling markets. Um, so it's, it's much more realistic pricing. Um, but it did lead to that to that drop in government bond government bond prices. Um, interestingly, though, in U.S. credits, so corporate bonds, they they gained through through January. Um, not a lot at all. We're talking a few basis points, but again, nonetheless. Um, and that's due to that more positive growth picture and the reduction in in credit risk that goes along alongside that. Um, Europe is actually a lot more interesting and a lot more difficult to predict what's going to happen there given the the different um growth and inflation picture across the various countries um so at one end you know you've got the southern states of europe that are actually faring okay um inflation levels are above target um and their outlooks aren't for deep recessions um Activity levels in a lot of southern states are verging on expansionary. Um, so there, holding rates steady for a few months would seem like the logical thing to do just to, you know, put a cap on activity and get inflation back down to target. Um, Germany, though, looks like it's already in a recession. Um, manufacturing output data over there has been poor for well over a year. Um, and on the whole, expectations see the picture in Germany getting a lot worse before it gets better. Um, so from a rates perspective, they could deal with a cut much sooner than other areas of Europe. So how the ECB responds to those kind of differing needs is, is going to be interesting, interesting to watch. Um, but it, it, it does point towards you know, being a little bit careful with what you're buying in Europe because companies and government bonds are going to react differently to these changing changing rates market there right okay um i'm, I'm going to skip on to uh i suppose a, an, an area the other side of uh the cost of borrowing um which is uh around generating income so many clients uh who are listening to this podcast i'm sure will will have enjoyed uh, some of the the cash interest uh, returns uh, over uh, recent times in in deposit accounts, but with that likely trajectory of uh, downward cuts, um, are we starting to see people um, opening up different areas to generate income? Maybe with new dividend markets uh, that are starting to to um, come to the fore. 
Um, yeah. are, you, are, are people starting to pay bigger dividends? Um, it's a bit of a mixed picture. Um, so income investors are obviously in a much better place now than they were, say, five years ago, um, where you would get basically nothing from your from your fixed income exposure. Um, but yeah, the picture in dividends is is still still mixed and a little bit more more erratic. Um, so you know, we saw companies cut their payouts during the pandemic. Since then, we've seen special dividends paid by some companies. We've seen surprise cancellations of dividends by others. Um, and it's all just a, a reflection of the quite difficult um, environment that corporates are, are operating in now. Um, and it is actually quite likely that things will carry on like this for for a little while. Um, but you know there there have definitely been positive surprises in in the dividend space. So in the past um, past week, um, Meta has announced its first dividend, um, and they've got a plan to make quarterly distributions going forward. Um, now this is actually a pretty big deal because the big tech companies are well known for, for not paying paying out any income. Um, so now whether any of the others follow suit. Um, especially more of the you know well-established tech firms, so you know Microsoft, Alphabet, um, is going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, back to bonds, though, and the income picture is very attractive still, um, even on, on a forward-looking basis. Um, so at the moment, pricing indicates around a two percent interest rate cut over the next two years. Um, so that would take policy rates down to three and a quarter to three and a half percent. If you then add credit or duration risk on top of that, so you know you buy anything apart from your standard short dated government bond, um, you are still talking about a very good level of income um, in addition to that capital gain that you get with owning bonds versus cash. Um, so yeah, rates are coming down, but there is still plenty of opportunity in bonds um, to, to create income. Um, and that isn't going to disappear the minute we see the first rate cut. Right. OK, thank you for that. Uh, just moving on broadly, uh, more more financial data. I know you touched on quite a lot, lot of this, but um, what's the, the was it a good Christmas for retail in the UK? Um, I I would love to say yes. It was a a pretty pretty poor December for for UK retail. Um, sales fell by I think about three three point two percent versus November, um, which was the largest monthly fall since the pandemic. Um, so you know, not not a great. Um, December, blame it on on the weather or train strikes. What else do people blame it on? Many many factors. Um, but yeah, not not a great month. Um, but but at the same time, GDP figures for the UK um, show a small expansion in the economy, um, while both services and manufacturing data are both moving upwards still, so moving in the right direction. 
So, you know, as, as I said, in, in relation to the US, it is just a, still quite a mixed picture that we're trying okay. to trying to get our heads around. Right. OK, I'm um, just conscious that the data um, was released in, in the last couple of weeks. So, so I thought it'd be worthwhile asking, was it was it good or not uh, relating to Santa? So um, looking forward for the rest of this year, something that's uh, in every news news uh, newspaper and, and news article seems to be elections and um, uh, right, right the way across the the, uh, the globe. Increasingly, appears to, uh, that there's going to be a change in government in the UK, and who knows uh, really what's going to happen in the US. Uh, every day seems to uh, be a different twist and turn on that. Um, so I'm not seeing the UK or US markets react strongly one way or another. Um, even though the the, the sort of uh, news seems to be pushing one way and then the other. Um, on a daily basis, uh, they, uh, is it just that uh, I'm I'm sort of reading too much into it, or are the, are the markets just generally moving in a, a positive direction because they think that neither uh, Republicans or Democrats or Conservatives or Labour or any other combination um, will make that much difference? Um, no, I think you're actually reading it quite quite well at the moment um markets aren't really trying to predict anything um fair enough yeah i mean there are there are obviously a lot of elections going on um some more um relevant than others um before the uk and the us we've got india yes um, yeah. so it is quite widely thought that modi who, who's been responsible for, for really elevating india to to a pretty pretty big global power we saw them fly to the moon recently yes um yeah. now yeah it is thought that he will will win that third term if he doesn't that could have have some knock-on effects to to wider wider emerging markets um just given that that extra bit of uncertainty um but yeah in the uk um that the general consensus is that it's going to be be quite boring from an outcomes perspective. Um, the two parties are, are quite closely aligned, um, and the, the the fiscal environment that the next government's going to come into, you know, with current debt levels um, where they are, there's not going to be a lot of scope for for additional spending or tax cuts. Um, so, how much policy change could actually be pushed through is is questionable. Um, but both parties do seem seem genuinely committed to improving the, the business landscape um, and, and reinvigorating the UK market. We're seeing that with, with the talk of the, the British ISA. Um, but yeah, whichever way that the election goes here is unlikely to be um, much of an event for markets. Um, the US could be more interesting um, with much wider knock-on effects. Um, the Republicans are already talking about increasing tariffs again, which which could harm cross-border trade, um, especially that with China. Um, so that actually is something to watch, given the troubles that are already playing playing out in, in the Chinese market. Um, we'd also likely see a, a bit of a change in um, the geopolitical backdrop, um, with Trump saying that he would stop funding the um, Ukraine war effort. Um, 
But again, on a domestic basis, the US is actually in a similar position to the UK. Um, so debt levels are so high that whoever wins is going to be quite limited in what they can what they can actually do. Um, and you know, markets are well aware of that. It's an interesting investment landscape at the moment, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. And I think probably leads to that that point uh, of the importance of being well diversified across multiple markets uh, to make sure that that um, we don't uh, we don't sort of uh, put all of our eggs in in one basket, uh, as it were. So, um, probably like last question uh, that I'm going to ask you now: general outlook for. Uh, the uh, the markets positive negative or steady as uh, she goes um i would be uh tempted to veer towards the, the latter option um i'd probably summarize it as cautious optimism cautious optimism yeah so you know there, there are a lot of mixed signals floating around there are definitely downside risks um but businesses and consumers are proving to be resilient or more resilient than than people thought they'd be. Um, and in a lot of areas, valuations are still still very attractive, um, especially if you look at you know good good quality companies, good quality bonds. Um, and then you know you can't ignore the fact that we're moving into a monetary easing cycle, which is gonna gonna help improvements. Um, so yeah, there is there is scope for optimism across across markets, um, but it's also likely to come with with volatility. I quite like the cautious optimism uh, <laughs> way to finish the uh, the overview, which has been uh, fantastic. I, I like to try to get to know our portfolio managers uh, a little bit more. So I'm, I'm going to ask you a quick quick recommendation from yourself. So. Um, last book that you read that you suggested to family and friends um well i've actually just finished reading two very good books go on um so the first the order of time by carlo Ravelli. um he sort of breaks down and then rebuilds the concept of what is time um through a combination of physics and uh like philosophical theories um it is it sounds quite boring i realize that um but it, it isn't it's actually really interesting um so that's then, the light reading option yes. what, what was the second one <laughs> the doll factory um which i'm pretty sure they've just serialized on maybe paramount um extremely easy read um it is London in, in the late 19th century. Um, so art, obsession, you know, very, very good one to, to counter theories of thermodynamics. Wow. OK. Um, Imogen, thank you very, very much. Uh, it's been fascinating listening to uh, you, you unpacking uh, all of my questions uh, around different things that are 
impacting the markets and it's been really useful so thank you very much for that and it's uh, great to have you on the this podcast um just as a reminder to everyone we're coming into isa season and end of tax year season so please speak to your advisor sooner or than later if you've got any um, allowances that you're wanting to utilize particularly around isa's C cgt uh, and pensions and inheritance tax um, so uh, the providers are, are all coming out with deadlines that they're uh, wanting everybody to uh, ensure that their investments are in, in, in time. So please uh, get in touch with your advisor sooner or than later. But Imogen, thank you very much. Have a fantastic time and speak to you all very soon. Thank you.